Welcome to Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Stories We Don't Tell is a monthly event in Toronto that features candid stories of strength and resilience. I threw out my prayers, they went flying like balloons. The air whipped our hair, we went shooting down the valley. Knuckles gripped upon the handles, shivers rushing down my spine. What's the blind? Can I tell you about a weird Facebook message that I got? Yes. Okay, so this guy that I went to undergrad with, but like have not spoken to directly since undergrad. Like I've I've had some Facebook and Twitter contact with him, but like random stuff, you know. But he really strongly associates me with math because I was a math major. Right, yes. And also I worked in the math lab. Nice. Which was what the drop wait, there are math labs? Okay, they called the drop in tutoring center the math lab. Ah, okay. So I worked in the math lab and like and I was a grader. And I was a mathlete, you know. You, get you were a mathlete? Yeah, like I, nice. did, a, I did a couple. <laughs> I did a couple mathlete things. Like I went to some, you know, math right. math events. Uh, I went to math camp in grade seven. Yeah. I should really tell the story about math camp in grade seven. That was a whole thing. Yeah, you definitely should. It was, uh, I didn't get to go with my crush and just had to go with this other person who was like, not my crush and it was weird. That's, you were just doing math, man. Yeah. It's pure. It's a weird story. <laughs> So this guy, he just sent me a Facebook message, and we don't have any Facebook chat history. Oh yeah, it's always weird. Yeah. Even now, when I break like that Facebook message, you know, silence. Even yeah. if it's like new new people, it's still weird to me. Yeah, it's totally weird. So we don't have any Facebook chat history, and he messaged me to be like, "Hey, I have a math question for you." I was like, "Okay," but he didn't say okay because this is me in my head reading it later because right. he had already asked the question. Nice. Which was that like he's trying to calculate probability for something with a deck of cards. Hmm. And then he told me like what he does know how to calculate, but then he explained what he's still trying to figure out. And then we're just like, so you know, I just thought if do, you could do you have help. An answer? Well, I haven't had any time to think about it. Right. So I was just like, oh, that's random. But but you didn't answer. But you haven't. So wait, you responded to him, but without any solution. Yeah, because I didn't. Mm. I didn't have any time. I was right. with you guys. Right. That's fair. I like haven't been home except for when I was sick yesterday making those mug cakes. Right. Exactly. The mug cake callback. I love it because now Paul has to leave it in. Yeah. So so I so I just responded saying, oh, that's random. Well, if you're still trying to think about this in a couple of days, I could probably spend some time. Yeah. And then he responded like two days later saying, ha ha, it is random, but I just think about you when I think of math. Like I've made a spreadsheet, but I'm still figuring it out. But uh, then I haven't answered because I got sick. Right. So I have to dive back into that. Yeah, that is weird. But I should tell him about Brie Analytics. You should tell him about Analytics. Which is what my assistant editor called my badass spreadsheet that I made nice. at my job. <laughs> of course. But yes, because the viewers or the listeners would, uh, would know that. Um, we're also, so once again, we are, are going to actually cover something today. Okay, yes. So we're here today to talk about my forthcoming business, Brie Analytics. Yes. And also, yep. uh, the third, part three of the three-part series, which I'm now, I know you want to, I know you want to do these backwards, but I think I because the way we talked about it, we yeah. can't. So no, this I is now part this, three. Yeah, this is the natural part three. Yeah. So part three, fuck the audience. Fuck the audience. Fuck those guys. Yeah. What are they even doing here? Why do they even show up? That would be so terrible. Yeah. And we love that, and like as the first two uh, have proven, uh, we think incredible amounts of the audience and want to protect them as much as possible. We do. Uh, it's just sort of the. This is a great. We've we've created these sort of three op, three barrels to some extent, uh, as a as a carrying on of the whole thing. Yeah. So this one has to do with the fact that ultimately, when you're up there, when you're writing, and then when you're telling the story, there's only so much that you can do to anticipate the needs and the 
cognitive processes of every person that's going to be in the audience. Like and ultimately you can bend over backwards and somebody still might not have the reaction that you're hoping for. Yeah. Or won't get it or will have like you get, so this is really, we use this a lot to convince people not try to answer a bunch of questions that weren't asked. Yeah. Uh, that's really what it is. And so, and so the story we're going to hear uh, is from Darren Gaster. Uh, and, he tells a story about sort of about one about the first time he sort of understood the difference between uh, I think it's uh, how do you, he has an exact way of putting it, but sexual identity and and gender or something like that. Yeah, sens- uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Um, and it's and and so in this process, we we were working with him, and we've done this a, a hundreds of different times with different people uh, as a sort of trying to get them not to try to answer the questions that haven't been asked yet. Yeah. And it's important to remember, so in, in Darren's case, as you'll hear, but in, in the case where you're, where you're telling any story that isn't from the prevalent media position of being like a cisgendered white person. So if you're not a cisgendered white person, or even if you are, but that's not what your story is about, like you don't owe the audience an explanation of your identity. Mm-hmm. So if your story is about identity, then absolutely you're talking about your feelings in whatever piece of that process that you want to talk about because that's the story that you're telling. But you're not standing there as a representative of your identity. You don't owe them an explanation. You don't owe them like a reckoning for whatever preconceived notions they come in with. You don't owe them anything. Yeah, exactly. And if they're making assumptions and if they're bigoted and if they're uninformed, like, Fuck them. Exactly. That's um, when that comes up. Yeah. Yeah. Like you tell the story as if you're a cisgendered white male, uh, like me. Yeah. Um, as are you. As I am. Uh, in, yeah, but I say that in that like no one presumes the random white dude is responsible, is indicative of the rest of random white dudes. Right. Uh, that's not a thing that our society expects. Right. Uh, if you're a random white dude, you're only talking for yourself and not for the rest of your 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 space. Yeah. Uh, whereas society sort of expects anyone who is in a more marginalized position to speak on the behalf of their larger audience. Right. Or not of their of their of their sort of identity. Yeah. Uh, and we are really against that. Well, yeah, we're really <laughs> we're really against the expectation, not the doing it. Yeah, we're really against the idea that because there are people in a room listening to you talk about your experiences, that you owe them an explanation for your experiences. Yeah. So because of what we talked about in the first one, you owe them a story. Yes. Because you're at a storytelling event telling a story, but your storytelling event, your storytelling event, mm-hmm. your story can be about whatever you want it to be about. That's why we have the workshop process. And if it's not about your identity, then you don't even owe them acknowledging your identity. Like you don't owe them. Anything that you don't want to talk about. Yeah, you owe them. Yeah, exactly. In the first one, we created a bunch of things you owe them, which was, I think, a story uh, and I think an ending, <laughs> I think, were the two things we came up with. Um, and, and yeah, and, and, and I think that's the, the, and part of the reason why we say this is because it makes a worse story. You know, yeah. if you spend half your story trying to explain to people that what you are is what you are and fuck you if you don't accept me or anything, really, yeah, um, you're writing a worse story than you could because you're worried about people judging you. And fuck them. Okay, once we went to, to an event and someone told a story about being in a poly relationship and um, they, they started trying to like, it's like you're trying to play defense. This is mm. what's so hard about it is this person was talking about how they're, polyamorous and so they're in a relation they're in a triad they're in a relation with two other people and like that's all important context for a story about two people that you're in a relationship with but they spent probably 75 percent of the story just like defining that in a way that it was like i think the audience gets it and, and also 
we're at the point where if they don't get it, like you don't need to cater to them. Yeah, they're not going to get it. Like this person ended up not really, there was no story no. to it because they just spent the entire time explaining polyamory, mm-hmm. which like lots of people need polyamory to be explained. That's fair. But like, if you're just going to talk 75% of the time about what polyamory is, you're not telling a story. So yeah, and people can go and like Google it on their phone after if they're still not with you after like, Hey, I practice a different kind of relationship than you might. I'm in a relationship with two people. We're all in it together. That's it. People get it or they don't. If they don't, like that's on them. It's not on you. Exactly. The other danger of getting into that is then it becomes a presentation, not a story. Mm. And, And presentations become preachy. Uh, or be just or just become different, right? You're, you're, you're it's like motivational speaking a lot too. It yeah. turns into kind of that, like I'm different and it's okay, right? And, and everyone and, and, and it's and th- that's great. Like you know, that is great. Motivational speaking is important and is a useful tool for many things. And it's absolutely important for audiences who are there to have their horizons expanded. Exactly. Uh, but I think you do a better job expanding horizons by showing how you are a normal person. <laughs> Uh, or not normal person, normal is obviously meaningless in this context, uh, but like you are a person who they can identify with even if they're, even if you're doing anything. Yeah. Like you also have experiences and then also feelings about those experiences. And that's what a story is. Exactly. Um, and so this is a very long winded way of just saying, fuck your audience. Yeah. Um, so if they're expecting a different version of that, then fuck them. Yeah. Yeah. So like we're, so to bring this all full circle of our three audience episodes in a row, um, or not in a row, depending on how we release these, uh, we sort of feel that if you bring a story, uh, the most important thing obviously is to tell a good story and that, and, and, and that you can trust your audience to, uh, to treat you with respect if you are honestly trying to tell a good story. And if they don't do with respect, fuck them. Yeah. That's it. And with that, Darren Kester. Darren Kester. He's probably going to cut you. Okay, great. Um, I wish that this entire episode was bleeped. This like, episode like of The Stories We Don't Tell is brought to you by Bleep. It's Saturday night and I'm getting ready for work. I'm a manager for an upscale wedding caterer, which means it's time for my authoritative, masculine, straight boy costume. I don't entirely recognize the person looking back at me, but he's following my movements in the reflection, so I go with it. If I don't at least appear masculine and authoritative, my drunk and high coworkers will eat me alive the moment my boss leaves for the night. Order must be maintained, and for that, my coworkers must respect me. Black shirt, white tie, and an electric razor-trimmed beard. I've always known I wasn't straight, but it wasn't until very recently that I had any idea what that meant. Things started to improve rapidly when I started separating the question of gender identity from the question of sexual preference. Kind of like getting frustrated assembling furniture and then realizing you've been reading the wrong instructions. When I was being hard on myself, I used to describe it as fractal indecisiveness. Now, when pressed for a label, I like the word fluid. I spit my toothpaste in the sink, rinse my mouth, and leave on my bike for work. I come home that night to find a party in my university co-op house. Despite not being much in the mood, I suppose if you can't beat them, join them. I make my way around the room looking for someone to talk to, and I do. But despite my efforts to be sociable, the smoky basement's loud music and louder conversation 
quickly redrain my energy. I retire upstairs to play video games and finish getting drunk. Soon, it's 4 a.m., and I can hear the party moving past my door to head home. Maybe the cute girl I'd been speaking to is out there, I thought to myself. I've been working my way through several more tarl cans since moving upstairs. It's never too late to try and get laid, said every drunk and horny person ever. And I was starting now to feel more intensely both the pangs of my bladder and my libido. Half-dressed and full of liquid courage, I greet her, looking for her jacket. Me and my stained wife beater, fresh tattoos, and scruffy facial hair, as if by accident. I say something clever and seductive, like, Looks cold out. Want to stay here? She smiles and declines, but presses her number into my phone nonetheless. The mirror looks dirty now, from the party on the weekend. I'm simultaneously excited and nervous drying my hair as I prepare for my date. I rarely have the right confidence-booze ratio to be so forward as I had with her, and rarer still that it works out. Today feels different, so I shave as I do whenever I think it matters how I look. I've always hated hair, except on my head. It feels unwelcome and strange. Maybe I should grow my hair out again. Maybe I could do more. I've spent the whole day till now listening to the same Katy Perry album on repeat while cleaning my room, much to the chagrin of my roommates. My body is the same, but today I wear clothes I feel more comfortable in than my stiff manager's uniform. I still don't entirely recognize myself in this mirror, and I know my date is expecting a gruff, confident frat boy type. I'm just not in the mood to fake it today. Back downstairs she arrives. I'm no longer drunk, nor have I spent the last 10 hours cracking a whip at work. Without it, I'm no longer full of false confidence, or the appearance of gruff masculinity that comes with it. I'm afraid she'll notice the difference, but I always get myself into trouble when I overthink things and try my best to focus on my guest instead of myself for once. The conversation is a bit awkward at first, but this isn't a proper date per se, and soon we start to make out. After a short while, she gets off my lap and sits back next to me. She's feeling unsure, and I don't want to pressure her. So we talk for a while again. Something was off. I knew that, but I always feel a bit off when I'm with someone new. At the same time, I didn't want to ruin the night because I wasn't confident. Guys are supposed to make the first move, right? She moves to kiss me, and I take the lead and slide over to straddle her, this time bringing us closer. We kiss. We grope. We breathe heavier, but a moment later she stops me. Before she can say anything, I ask a question I immediately wish that I hadn't. What's wrong? I've just never had a guy sit in my lap before. So I say, oh, I'm used to playing both sides, honey. Now, I like being playful, and this makes me feel temporarily more relaxed. It was, in fact, wrong to be. Wild-eyed, she says, get off me. I comply immediately, sitting as far as I could from her at the other end of the couch, partially dazed. I'm not entirely sure I'm into this. No offense, she says. But it's cold and late. Can I sleep on the couch? We fall asleep, 20 feet apart, in the same room, without another word. Brushing my teeth in front of the bathroom mirror, there are the first of what would become a full day worth of tears on my cheeks. 
I had a harsh new reality thrust on me, that I'm different and I can't live my life hiding it. At the same time, if I follow the generic advice and just do me, it will make every task and social transaction in my life infinitely more difficult. This had officially graduated from personal mental health project to full-blown cognitive dissonance. Still sitting in the bathroom, I slide to the floor against the frigid side of the tub and call my best friend. I say to him, how do you meet someone when you feel like you need to tell them your entire life story and all of your secrets before you can even be sure they're actually attracted to you and not just the image of you they've constructed in their minds? He grunts, but lets me continue. It's not her fault for being attracted to someone like me, and she didn't say anything intentionally hurtful. It just feels like a cruel joke that plays me in a body that I'm told is desirable but doesn't feel like mine. It never has. My best friend and I have known each other for 15 years. He waits for me to run out of steam, and then in a calm, deep voice, he tells me I've done a public service. Letting young women everywhere know that books shouldn't be judged by their covers, and that even big, masculine-looking men aren't all the same. He said he was proud of me for being honest. Then he offers to kick her ass. I'm fairly sure he was serious. But I decline. You can find us online at thereapers.org because we're in the life-collecting business. You can like us at facebook.com slash storieswedonttellpodcast. If you want to help us out, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks to Rayana for the theme music to this podcast. You can find out more about her in the show notes or at rayana.ca. This episode of Stories of Tell about my mathletes. Mathletes. Tomorrow's heroes. In Mean Girls, they get varsity jackets.